this woman had at least eight false identities. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. There's an area near Bergen, Norway, known as the Ice Darling or the Ice Valley. It's also nicknamed Death Valley due to the area's history of suicides in the Middle Ages and more recently hiking accidents. In November 1970, a man and his two young daughters noted an unusual burning smell and to their horror discovered the charred body of a woman located among some screen. Now if this podcast was a magazine, you wouldn't mind paying a few quid or dollars a month so I'm asking you to support us for the bargain price of three US dollars a month. In the last few weeks, Pete Hobson, Richard Goyette, Hamish McIntyre, Alastair Bassett, David Roberts, James Marks and Richard Harvey have joined in helping to cover the show's increasing costs and keep us on the air. Plus, they've got that sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster to look forward to too. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for extra information. So back to today's episode, we speak with Marit Heigraf, an investigative reporter for the Norwegian broadcaster NRK, who has investigated this case and is the co-presenter of the Death in Ice Valley podcast. We welcome Marit to our Cold War Conversation. I've been intrigued by the Death in Ice Valley podcast, and I'm sure my listeners will be as well because there's a, it's a, it's a Cold War mystery, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually. the The story is about uh, a woman found dead in a remote valley in Norway in 1970, and. The mysterious thing about this lady is that um, the police uh, didn't manage to find anything out about her identity. The labels had been removed from her clothes and scratched uh, from her items. And still today, uh, almost 50 years later, nobody knows who she was. And how did you first hear about the story? Well, the story has been, every now and then, it has been in the newspapers here in Norway um, as an unsolved mystery, um, but not very much for the last decades, let me say it that way. But we started as investigative journalists here in, in my organization, NRK, Norwegian Public Broadcasting. We started out a couple of years ago um wanting to solve this mystery, wanting to see how far can we get in, in solving this true crime case now, 50 years later. And what, why did you think we, we'd get further nowadays? I mean, I, I guess it's more, it, obviously there's been technological advancements, but um, how did you think you'd be able to move the case further forward? Well, that's it. Uh, with With modern forensic, science and, and modern technical methods, um, you can do much more uh, now than the 
police were able to do back in 1970. So we wanted to to give it a try to see what we could achieve with combining investigative traditional investigative journalism with modern forensic methods. And it's amazing how the story appears to have resonated with people in in the present day. I mean your your Facebook group is huge and there's loads of people doing their own investigations or coming up with theories there as well. Yeah, it's quite it's quite amazing actually this this the the listeners involvement in this story and and the listeners um attempts to try to help us with our investigation in the Facebook group and and by writing us emails and so it's it's amazing it's it has really um moved people around the globe actually this mystery absolutely i think the the it it's a sad story as well because nobody seems to have missed her there's doesn't appear to be any family looking for her and it it it's it's tragic that that nobody's sort of come looking for her Till now, it seems that that nobody um, missed her, as you say, or, or at least hasn't come forward to, to to say something about it. We have had a lot of tips coming in over the last year after um, launching our podcast series. Uh, yeah, it's 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 such a strange case. It's such a sad story and a very very mysterious story because there are so many clues and and angles all around this case that makes it yeah like you say a cold war story in a way because what we do know we don't know much about the woman we know more now that than we knew before starting up our investigation what we do know for sure is that she wasn't a norwegian she died under very strange and sad circumstances in Norway, uh, but she was for sure not Norwegian. So that's why we try to reach out there um, to that person or those persons who might know something, who might recognize something about this woman that leads them to think, well, this could have been my my aunt or late neighbor. Yeah, yeah. So... If we just elaborate a bit more on the on the circumstances um, here, because she's discovered uh, her body is discovered in a remote valley um, outside of Bergen, and it appears as though she has died from uh, falling on a fire. But the autopsy finds that there was carbon monoxide poisoning and a number of large. Uh, a large number of of sleeping pills as well and there's this sort of ceremonial aspect of some of her belongings being laid out uh, alongside her but the the police conclusions appear to be around suicide rather than a than a murder mm. what what are your sort of views on that well, I don't want to give away too much for those of you who wants to listen to the podcast <laughs> about our findings. But um, yeah, there were some very strange circumstances um, around her death. Um, and the police managed to find out quite a few things about her and her pattern of traveling, let me put it that way. 
that made it even more strange. Who was this woman? What was she uh, doing in Norway? Why was she traveling that much? And uh, what was her mission? Let me put it that way. And we're talking about a time here, 1970. We're in the middle, in the death of the Cold War. And we know um, that Norway was for sure very interesting for um, several foreign intelligence services. And there were speculations back then and still are speculations that this was a woman with a certain task in Norway and that she, for some reason, um, died up in that valley. My personal opinions doesn't matter that much. I, I try to work. I know this is boring to listen to, but I really honestly try to work as objective as possible because as a journalist, I think that is the only way to, to attack such a case. But of course, I'm a human being as well. And I have worked this case for such a long time and in such depth that, of course, it's. I have a lot of thoughts, and I the the circumstances around that the police concludes with suicide and that she nothing indicates that she was a spy. Well, that those conclusions came after only three weeks investigation, and that was for sure. A very strange conclusion. Yes. Yeah, because the the whole sort of espionage link is, you know, an interesting one. And I know my listeners are, you know, when I put on a an episode which is uh, Cold War espionage, it does tend to be more popular than some of my uh, my other eclectic episodes. And and this does have this the sort of feel of some well, there's an element of secrecy here in in terms of her activities and the way that she, um, you know, the contents of uh, her suitcases and various bits of paperwork that 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 come up as well, that sort of lend themselves to this isn't a straightforward case. There's something odd going on here. Mm. Yeah, I mean. All of it, all the clues and leads points to that she had some sort of mission. And again, we're talking about 1970 here. And Norway as an interesting country with the border to Russia and, and as a NATO member. Um, and there were witness observations of her near the test site of the so-called penguin missiles in Norway at the time. So everything in the case, actually. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, 
and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Points to that she was on some some kind of a mission. For whom? We don't know. But of course, I mean, it is, as a lot of listeners have been pointing out, It is there are other possibilities. Was she... Was she just a lonely, lonely woman flying flying for some from something or or some sort of mental illness involved? Uh, everything is possible, but yeah, the, the the main leads definitely points to uh, a connection with the Cold War yeah. going on. Yes, and uh, as a objective journalist, you're ruling nothing out and ruling nothing in, which is um, <laughs> ju- just what I, just just what I would I would expect. I mean, it, it's interesting because listening to the podcast, you do talk to various espionage experts, um, and there are some question marks around some of her behaviour as to whether that would be something that a that an agent would do because she does come across certainly from the eyewitness accounts as being quite conspicuous in terms of her activities i think mm. yeah we we speak in the podcast we speak with with um several sources um a former kgbi agent um an expert uh historian of the of the cold war period and and the experts points us in different directions actually some say well it wasn't normal for an agent to have several identities because she this woman had at least eight false identities other again say well there were agents having several false identities but of course there are so much in between she she was maybe not an agent but she could have been a courier and then that would explain some of her behavior and travel pattern yeah did you feel that you were being blocked in any way in particularly when you went down the espionage angle in terms of getting information from official sources even though it was such a long time ago um no we haven't been blocked as a matter of fact the reason that we could go into this investigation and sort of reopen it as journalists was the access to the archives the access to the to files the police work from 1970 we got a total access from from the Norwegian, Norwegian police or better say from the state's archive because the case is so old so the the case is um, now in the state's archive, so we have been able to to read up on everything that is um, accessible to us. But and we have been to to a lot of different archives in our search for the truth. Here, what is not available to us is uh, the intelligence archives here in Norway. I would have loved to. Have a look in there to see if there's a file on the Easter woman. And so your inquiries there, do they say there's no file or that you can't have access to it? No, oh, well, the, <laughs> their answer is is as, as the normal answer from most intelligence <laughs> services. 
we can't confirm or deny (laughs) you're right yeah right right and it's safe to say that norway was sort of you know it well it was in the front line of the cold war having a border with the soviet union Mm -hmm. at the time and there were various other incidents in norway that were a bit strange in terms of people dying suddenly and and things things like you know things like that i know there was the there were other things going on as well with uh, mossad operating in mm-hmm. in norway as well where they killed somebody in error who i th- mm-hmm. think they thought was part of the uh, munich olympics right. attack but th- there are other sort of you know oddities in Norway's Cold War history that indicate that this perhaps isn't just an, an isolated case. Yeah, we have we have been looking into, uh, there were, you're right, there were several um, strange deaths of, of foreigners in Norway around the time, around 1970. We have been looking into some of the others and there seems to be a reasonable explanation for those. They are not that mysterious as this one, the Easter Woman case. It's it's in it's totally different in all the mysterious clues around yeah. it. And, and then you have it's right as you said. You have the 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 Lillehammer case. Um, Ahmed Butiki was a man who was accidentally um, killed by Mossad agents in Norway in Lillehammer. 1973, and um, they were caught the agents from Mossad back then. So it was quite a story, actually, here in Norway. And yeah, there was was a couple of things going on in Norway around the time. Yeah, yeah. No, all uh, all in- interesting stuff. I mean, you know, you as you, as I said before, you you spoke to some intelligence people how did you did you feel that you were getting the absolute truth out of them or what did you feel that that sometimes they were just hiding some of the story there um well let me put it that way we have a lot of sources and we have been speaking to um a lot more sources also intelligence people than we bring in the podcast because not all of them are willing to give an open Mm. interview um, they are not the easiest sources to work with. The people who really knows what's going on behind closed doors. Um, but we have some good sources. We are working on in different directions still uh, to see if we can get somewhere near the truth um, around this woman. Could she have been working for any kind of intelligence service in 1970? Right, right. You're tantalizing me there. Uh, um, Now, (laughs) as far as trying to identify her, I mean, there was obvious, there was nothing within her belongings that allowed easy identification it's safe to say in fact there were you know a- active measures to obscure any identification um in in her belongings but i i can you know see from the the research that you've done you've you've 
got some sort of indication as to the area that she might have certainly grown up in or had her formative years. Yeah, whether she did it or somebody else did it, somebody did a quite a good job in hiding her identity because even when the police, a couple of days after finding the body, they managed to find her suitcases um, stored at the train station in Bergen and two suitcases containing a lot of clothes, a lot of, yeah, let me put it that way, mysterious stuff like like glasses without uh, correction in the lens, um, um, a code note, things like that, but nothing that indicated who this woman actually was. And that it was a thorough job, we know that now, because almost 50 years later, we still haven't managed to find her identity. But we try to attack the case with modern forensic science to see whether we can narrow down the area. Like I said, we know this wasn't a Norwegian. We know this was a foreigner. But we have been trying to work with modern forensic science to narrow down the area she possibly came from. And we have succeeded. The world is big, but her world is smaller now. So we we have narrowed down the area she could have grown up but it's still a huge area to search for us. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, you know, listening to the podcast, you you talk to a number of eyewitnesses who, you know, worked in the hotels that she stayed at and, you know, were able to give what I found incredibly quite vivid descriptions, even though it was, you know, 30 years ago. And I'm not, you know, trying to say that they're not, giving you an accurate account but how how did you determine whether a an eyewitness account was was credible or not well that is another difficult thing for us the time is not working for us it's it's against us i mean almost 50 years has passed so when starting up the work with this investigation we started out by going through all witnesses, all police people working on the case and, and so on, and and to track them down. Where are they? And do they are they still alive? And unfortunately, of course, I mean, most police people working with this, this was a, a huge investigation for the Bergen police, and most of the people working with it was senior officers back then, meaning uh, they are very old now or... They're dead. So, and and that the same goes for the hotel witnesses. Some of them were younger, and that's the reason why they are still alive. So, there weren't too many people to choose from. So, I have been through most of the people still alive. I've interviewed most of them, spoken with most of them, and then, as you say, uh, almost fifty years has passed, and. We know that witness descriptions are being colored from different things, from time passing by, decades passing by, from from what they've been reading in, in newspapers and hearing in television about the case and so on. But still, we also have their 
they're fresh descriptions from from back then that they're written down interrogations by the police so we can compare and and um, I think the witnesses give us quite a good description about this woman and and yeah I think you can trust at least um, parts of it yes yeah yeah I I found it interesting because she was in a shop and trying to buy some boots there's there's quite an interesting description there and as I said they're quite vivid you know it's not just what she looked like it's also you know the smells around as well um which which is that's, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting yeah that's very interesting interesting what we bring in the podcast is this um shoe shop uh guy he sold her a pair of rubber boots in Stavanger in 19 in 1970 and he's telling uh about the smell he he definitely remembers that he is a polite guy so he has problems saying this but that he says she didn't smell good Mm. and he says she he didn't recognize the smell back then also his colleague in in the shoe shop could remember this smell and both of them saying we couldn't recognize it back then it was 1970 we we didn't know what 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 is this smell but later on we knew we had learned about garlic and we think it was the smell of garlic and some of our listeners have been discussing that and well could they know was it garlic they couldn't know they couldn't possibly know because garlic wasn't an wasn't in Norway. It wasn't known in 1970. It wasn't a normal thing in our cuisine. But I can tell you and your listeners now that he or those people in the shoe shop wasn't, they weren't the only one pointing out the bad smell of garlic from this woman. There were several witnesses actually pointing that out and that's a, a, a very interesting and accurate observation yeah yeah now i i was i was reading that someone is making a spy thriller tv series about the story do you know much about that uh not more than you i guess uh the interest around this case has grown and and be- become huge um all over the world through this last year after we launched the podcast. So I am being interviewed a lot from different <laughs> medias in different countries. And you mean this isn't an exclusive, been- Merit? Oh, no. <laughs> it's not a first, no. <laughs> and, and people want to, they, articles have been written and people want to write books and they want to make television series and so on. And I can understand that. It's, it's a, a really fascinating tragic and mysterious story yeah yeah but i i you know the the way that you do the podcast is incredible and i know it's it's not just you it's you and neil and um you know the 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 music and the immersiveness of the podcast is fantastic it does feel as though you are there and even in my head now i can hear that rain falling on the leaves <laughs> That, that you that you have there and it is very atmospheric so for anybody who's not listened to death in ice valley i recommend you search it out 
and um and give it a listen it is a really interesting story and it's told really well and the mystery isn't isn't over yet so so marit what what's next for for death in ice valley have you made any more progress since the last episode First of all, thank you very much i'm really glad you liked it and yeah to tell the listeners it's it's a collaboration between uh nrk norwegian broadcasting and bbc well service and i am making this podcast together with my colleague neil mccarthy from the bbc and we are still working on the case, definitely. We are now in a research uh, mode and we're trying to get closer still to the truth. And if and when we manage to find out more about this woman, we will for sure come back with new episode on Death in Ice Valley. We try to... Our, our uh, way to to go on with this investigation is to work on the identity question because there are a lot of open questions. Who was she? What was she doing in Norway? Who was she working for? What was her mission? Uh, Was she a spy? And we think that the answer to the questions begins with the identity. First of all, we have to try to find her identity because then we can maybe manage to find the other answers. Right, right. So how can Cold War Conversations listeners help you with the mystery of the Eistel woman? Well, if somebody out there has something they think might be relevant to me, please write me an email or contact us through the Facebook group. Yes, you're welcome to, very much so. My email is my name, marit.highgraph at nrk.no. Right, right. Well, uh, it would be great if it's a Cold War Conversations listener that gives you the the big break, but I'm afraid I can't promise that for you. Our listeners will certainly be um, intrigued by this this Cold War story. Before we, we finish up, there's another case in... Uh, this time in Oslo, the Oslo Plaza case in in 1995, which has some similarities. The main similarity is the lack of identification and the effort to hide identification. There is is mm. that a you know a possible another NRK BBC collaboration mm. there? Well, I don't know about that. You're right. It's, there are some similarities. Also, that both of those women actually um, said they were from Belgium because our woman uh, in her on her hotel cards uh, she had to fill them out yes and and she said she was a Belgium and that so did the Oslo Plaza woman as well well I think uh, there are some similarities but I think the biggest difference is the time um difference i mean 1970 to 1995 i don't think there are uh anything that connects the two stories and i think i have to concentrate about the easter woman first at least <laughs> got your hands full with that one i i sure do <laughs> well marie it's it's been a real pleasure speaking 
to you about this case. Obviously, wish you every success. But if people want to stay posted on this, Death in Ice Valley Facebook page is probably a good place to uh, sign up to. But as I said before, do download the Death in Ice Valley podcast. It is really well well produced, far better than my feeble efforts. And it is a great, it's a great listen. I was riveted to it. So um, do download that. Merit, thank you for taking some time out of your day to talk to us. I really appreciate it. And uh, I really hope we can be of some help to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, I hope that's whetted your appetite to explore the Death in Ice Valley podcast. I can highly recommend it. There's further information on this episode in our show notes, which can also be found as a link in your podcast app. If you like what you're hearing, please leave reviews in Apple Podcasts and share us on social media. Don't forget to tag us as well. If you can't wait for next week's episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where guests and listeners continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.